Hey there, welcome to the podcast. I'm Reverend Sean, one of the hosts of this little shindig. And if you're new here, the Deeper Podcast is all about how we can live lives that unleash what we call courageous love, which is a love that embodies both a love of self, a love of other, and a love of the whole world. And how we can unleash that sort of love, not only in big ways that seem for most of us intimidating and out of reach, but in the small ways of our everyday life. Today, we're starting a new series called Reassembly Required, which is all about how we can unleash courageous love within our relationships, and especially how we can attend to relationships where they've been fractured, frayed, or are in need of reassembly. I don't know about you, but in the past, well, almost three years of this pandemic, my relationships have taken a hit. I've felt lonely and isolated. Isolated from my close friends, isolated from being a part of a community of something larger than myself, isolated in a sense of just being around people in general. And even when I am around people, it can be really anxiety producing. I mean, this last weekend, my family decided to go to a, an indoor ice skating rink here in Fort Collins, where we live. And even though the community has a mask mandate, there was probably 10 to 20% of the people there who were unmasked. Now, it's true that some people do have medical exemptions, but as I walked in, I, I, I started to feel the anger and, and almost rage start to boil up in me, and I didn't quite know what to do. I, I felt awkward in other situations where I've seen people that are unmasked, and I wonder, should I say something? You know, it, masks keep us safe. They keep our frontline workers protected. They keep our hospitals less overwhelmed than they could be. And here we are we have, with all of these people who are unmasked. And it was really hard for me to know what to do. Maybe you've been in a similar situation. I know that many of us have had relationships fray over misinformation about vaccines or masks or how we should be dealing with the pandemic. I know even within our community, there's different perspectives of the decision to go back online during this Omicron wave. At the heart of it, I think one of the questions we're struggling with is how are we in relationship across difference? But also, is it worth it to stay in relationship through difficulty? I'm speaking for myself. I, I did not grow up with a lot of good role models or skills about how to healthily navigate moving through relationships in which there needs to be repair or reconciliation. I kind of had an all or nothing approach given to me. I'm going to turn it over to Gretchen right now just to introduce our series a little bit more. We are made for relationships. We literally can't do life without them. We can't do life without being seen and known and loved for who we are. Seeing and knowing and loving another, we are made for relationships. So then why are relationships often so hard? Especially when they get off track and need to be repaired. There's no instruction manual handed to us when we're born. We have to learn how to trust and be trusted. How to stay put even when things are boring or annoying or you're entering year three of a global pandemic. We have to learn and practice 
being real and honest with another. Being real and honest with ourselves, we have to learn how to apologize and repair and begin again. Relationships take practice and work, assembly and reassembly. So for the next six weeks, we're going to create that instruction manual together, that instruction manual for how we reassemble our relationships that are actually in constant need of reassembly. I think my favorite advice about marriage is that most people who get married have three marriages in their life. And sometimes those are with the same person. That reassembly is required even in our close and enduring relationships. But today, Gretchen is kicking off our series and her message, which is all about when we get down to it, we're trying to reassemble, repair our relationships. Where do we start? Here she is. Growing up, my grandmother liked to send my parents and my sisters and I notes in the mail. They would always arrive either typed out, like using she had a real live typewriter, or they'd be handwritten in cursive. It'd come in one of those small business envelopes, like, I don't know, that big of the sort that you could fit a three by five card in, because that is what my grandma liked to use as stationery. She used three by fives. So when one of us would find one of these in the stack of mail, we'd announce it to the family like, uh-oh. Betty sent a three by five and another of us would yell out, oh no, whose turn is it this time? Now, it wasn't always worthy of the uh-oh and the oh no, but we always started there because we all knew there was a pretty good chance it was what my mom would call a zinger. Now, a zinger is pretty much what our Puritan forebears would have called admonishment. <laughs> They were strongly worded advice about some element of life or another, usually some way that she'd heard you'd acted that she wanted to warn was off course. Sometimes it was something she'd experienced directly. More often, it was something she just heard about, often from my mom. It was her way of trying to fix whatever needed fixing in each of us or between her and us, more often the former. My grandma wasn't the only one who used zingers in my family. It was actually a major way that we learned how to communicate when things, when we were feeling like upset or hurt or when we felt like someone was making choices that weren't good for them. Often zingers would come after a period of silence, after we had some time to think about it and time to write it all up into a letter. A letter wherein we would describe all of the ways that the other person's behavior had impacted us or how we felt it was negatively impacting them and how they needed to change. Now, a lot of times, zingers contained examples from the past, the little things that we had let go of until this one big moment when we finally decided to lay it all out for them to prove how it was long past time for them to change. Now, as the name implies, zingers were admittedly painful to receive. Maybe even more so because we all recognize that the only people who send zingers 
are people who really love you and whose opinions matter to you and who you wouldn't want to hurt or disappoint. Sometimes, though, the zinger was so painful, it made it hard to remember that part, hard to remember the love. Instead, you just, you just wanted to hurt them back, write a zinger of your own. Pastor Andy Stanley, who is the lead minister at North Point Church in Atlanta, says that the lessons, uh, that lessons about relationships, like how to have them, how to repair them, they are usually caught, not taught. As in, we are shaped most of all by the examples that we've seen around us, especially the examples that we saw growing up. Which means that as we move through this series, you should ask yourself two things. First of all, what did I catch as lessons about relationships growing up? I mean, I'm guessing not every family had zingers, but there was surely something. A model for what you should do when a relationship is struggling or broken. Zingers were my mom's side of the family, and on my dad's, we learned avoidance. As in, don't talk about it, don't get involved, just move on. So which lessons did you see and receive? And in turn, pass on. Which, of course, is the second question to ask yourself. What am I passing on today? To the children in my life or even to the adults at the life stage just right before the one I'm in? How do the people around me see me modeling? What are they catching from me about how a person repairs or revives relationships? Both of these questions, what we caught and what we are passing on, remind us that we, why we need to have this conversation in the context of community, especially a faith community centered around the promise of relationship like ours. A community where, whether we realize it or not, we are passing to each other our ways of doing relationship, repairing relationship, and where we have the chance to learn and develop new skills. Andy Stanley's October series, also called Reassembly Required, is what first had us thinking about offering a series ourselves on relationship. We liked the name so much, we just decided we wanted to borrow it and then just put our own progressive theological spin on it. We didn't really actually even know what their series was about or what their church meant by relationship repair before we, we just saw the, the name, the title, and we all immediately said, yes, that is where we need to start our new year. We need to start by focus on relationships. And relationships have always, they're always a big part of our work in church life. Relationships are a source and site of healing and transformation. They are what we consider as both the means and the in our in our faith and in these last two years it's become increasingly clear just how much we all need to reset and rethink our relationships for those who live with other adults the pandemic and and with other people the pandemic has been a time of extreme togetherness where there may be little or no time where you aren't sharing space with someone else. This has been true in my household where only recently I've started to remember what it feels like to have the house all to myself. And in case you're wondering, it is glorious. 
for much of the last year, the kids were schooling at home and Carrie and I were both working from home. And literally there were days in a row where none of us left home. In this intense connectivity, every little human behavior starts to take on a kind of existential significance. For example, the number of shoes that my daughter and partner both feel compelled to leave around the house. What is the meaning of that? And is it because they want to drive me crazy? I mean, to be fair, I think they might ask similar questions about the stack of books or office supplies and yoga gear that I leave in the living room. On the other hand, finding any sort of closeness with people outside our household in the last two years has been a constant negotiation about between safety and technology and emotional need and emotional exhaustion. This dynamic, which is so common for those of us who live with other people, including for our kids and teens, has created a strange combination of both desperately craving alone time while also feeling persistently lonely. Now, if you live alone, on the other hand, this picture has been over the same time more often just the latter, that persistent loneliness. Recent surveys of single people have lifted up the challenges of dating during the pandemic and the difficulty of finding safe ways to socialize when so much focus is on staying in your own house with your own household. Many people talk about a visceral hunger for human touch and an absence of emotional support all with a sense of time being lost or just kind of trying to wait for the next phase, which with this latest surge feels as uncertain as ever. Loneliness was a problem before the pandemic, though. A 2019 article in the New York Times described loneliness as an epidemic, more threatening to human life, and this is a quote, than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness increases inflammation, heart disease, and dementia, and it often means that we're less consistent in our self-care. It is why other countries have created, they've gone on to create whole governmental departments to address human connection. In the UK, they literally have a minister for loneliness. Now, my hunch is that this, this pre-existing loneliness and social isolation that was present among us before the pandemic is one of the main reasons that we have had such a hard time responding to and caring for each other during the pandemic. It's like we forget what it means to be there for one another. And whatever remaining skills we had for, for managing conflict in the before times have so atrophied that we, all we have left now are those old stories we caught as kids zingers or avoidance or whatever examples you caught. Andy Stanley calls these common instincts the C4 approach to relationship repair. C4, so there's four Cs. <laughs> Convince, convict, coerce, or control. Get it? C4? Because instead of repairing relationships, these approaches just blow them up more. In these days where even when we know better and we really do know better, we still 
find ourselves turning to one or all of these. We try to convince or convict or coerce or control. All the while, what we really long for is to connect. And instead, what we get is Which is why more often we just try not to think about whatever issues we might be having with someone. Something happens and I mean, they have their perspective on it and you have the truth. I mean, instead of just dealing with that, you, you just get by. Especially when it's a relationship where you don't have to see each other all that often. I mean, one of the reasons not to offer a series like this is because it means that all of us right now are having to think about relationship challenges that we would rather not think about. It really messes with our well-honed coping techniques to get through these anxious times because many of our relationships aren't actually blowing up and they aren't actually broken. They're just more like kind of blah. Or as Amanda Doyle talked about recently on the We Can Do Hard Things podcast, many of our relationships aren't, may not be exactly alive, but also they are not dead. It's in the episode where Amanda and her sister Glennon and Glennon's wife, Abby, they're all interviewing relationship expert Esther Perel. Amanda asks Perel what it takes for a relationship to be truly alive. Not just dead, not just survive, not just not dead, not just not, not just surviving, but just truly alive. Perel describes aliveness in relationships as a state of mutual curiosity and playfulness, where we really get, we have an interest in one another, where there is a willingness to take risks, and where you find moments where you aren't worried about what you're doing because you're more focused on simply being together. To revive relationships that have become kind of blah, Perel invites two questions that are maybe a little surprising. First, she asks you to think about when you turn yourself off. In what circumstances do you shut down and turn away from life? Often, Perel says, your answer will be, likely be about numbing or disconnecting. When do you turn yourself off? Which relates to her second question, she asks, when do you turn yourself on? As in, when you are feeling flat, what makes you feel alive and radiant? And then she asks, when was the last time in your life when you experienced those things? When we feel alive and open, then we are receptive to connection, to healing, and to that real relationship. We are receptive to the aliveness in our relationship. Perel's questions might be surprising because they aren't actually focused on the relationship itself, what each of you can do for the other or with each other for the relationship to be alive. They're focused on you. 
when do you turn yourself on? Because even though it's true we shape each other in community and even though relationships are important sources and sites of transformation, we also know that the only change we really have control over is the change in ourselves. The only person we could really heal or fix is ourselves. We can only reassemble ourselves. Despite our persistent impulse to believe that if we could just get the right words onto a three by five, we could convince, coerce, convict, or control the other person enough that they'd finally get it and get us and everything could be fixed. In reality, we know that this doesn't really repair anything. More often, like those zingers we got as kids, it just makes us want to send a zinger back. Instead, repair requires we. We send a zinger to ourselves. I mean, it takes us getting more honest with ourselves about where we can create space in our hearts to consider the parts that is part of it is ours. The ways that we have turned ourselves off. The ways we have caused pain. Even when we think it's small and it's mostly the other person who screwed up or who refuses to turn themselves on. Because there is something in every break that is our own place to grow. Something in us that is getting in the way of connection and trust and being truly alive. Besides, like Perel says, it isn't difficult to be right. You can be right. It's just that you'll be right and alone. After nearly two years and either too much togetherness or too much isolation or some weird combination of these, the danger is that we start to think that all of this work of relationships, and it is work, we start to think that maybe it's not worth it or that we are not worth it. Like maybe getting by and being not dead is enough. And it's all we need. But listen, the terrain around here is far too dangerous. Out of a great need, we must all hold hands and climb. I mean, we need each other. Behind our well-honed coping techniques and trauma responses, we know we need each other. We know that relationships of meaning and depth and honesty are our best hope, personally and collectively, behind our well-practiced getting by. We feel that longing to revive and repair what is broken to reconcile and begin again. We long for that life that isn't just surviving, but that's, that's really living. And for relationships that aren't just not broken, but are beautiful and filled with life. And so as we begin this new year, 
Let us recommit ourselves to the work of our relationships. Let's get to fixing, I mean, the only person we can fix. And healing and repairing and reassemble the only person we can repair. By which I mean, and my grandma would definitely send me a three by five if she heard me say this, but this year, let's do the important work of turning ourselves on. May it be so, and amen. I'm really excited about where this series is going to take us, and I'm glad you're on the journey with us. If you have a story of a relationship that you worked hard to repair, we'd love to hear it. You can reach out to us at deeperpod, that's D-E-E-P-E-R-P-O-D, at foothillsuu.org, because I'd love to talk to a few people about their process of reassembling their relationships with other people. As always, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, we'd love you to subscribe, leave a review, a rating. All of that helps other people find the podcast. But subscribing also is that little cue for you that when that new episode drops, you'll be reminded. And I know that my brain is constantly filled with so many things. And so to be reminded of that is always a good thing in my books. I'm going to leave you with the theme song from our series, Fix You, which is a cover of Coldplay performed by Amanda Hoffer with piano by Diane Rigelstein. Once again, thanks for listening. And I